so several um, months ago now, the uh, SLB uh, encouraged uh, us to to have a talk on mercy to address um, the concept of mercy, um, have it being taught somewhere in our curriculum. Um, and the session approved of that, and so um, we chose this Sunday to uh, to have this special convocation to um, have a discussion about what it means to um, to do mercy in the midst of the church. Um, and, and so we'll, we're gonna we're gonna have like a sort of flyby of what it means to do word and deed ministry, um, but also tie it in with Impact Week. Um, so what's the big deal with Impact Week, and um, what are we hoping to accomplish? Um, not just that week, but for ongoing uh, accomplishment through that. Um, but before we begin, um, does anybody want to introduce a guest or guest introduce self or anything like that? Yeah. John, yep. All right. Welcome. Yeah. What are you studying in graduate school? Uh, medicine. Medicine. I've heard of that. Good. <laughs> All right. Anybody else? Well, welcome. Um, let, me, uh, let me begin with prayer, but then we're going to um, jump right into it. And I do want this to be interactive, so um, I'm, I'm hopeful that um, parts that You've always had questions about how we do mercy. This is a great opportunity for you to ask, uh, but also things that r- might seem odd or, or different that um, that I present here. Um, this is great to sort of engage. I want us to engage with this in, in the community. So let's let's begin with prayer. Father, we do thank you for um, your heart, um, your love for those um, just around us, and your call to uh, share that heart. Um, bless us now as we think about our, our role as a church to do this and give us uh, a graciousness as we speak to each other about this. In Christ's name, amen. Um, thankfully, I'm not getting video recorded so I can actually move around a bit. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to start out by this concept of, of word and deed ministry um, in the church. Because very often um, you have churches who just want to do one or the other, um, address the spiritual needs, the word only, or um, when they do deed, uh, they only stress the deed aspect of it. Let's be a church that actually does uh, care for physical needs. And I wanted to um, at least start out by saying that uh, from the very earliest time, um, it has been a joint concept that both of those things need to be together. Um, we'll look at, at uh, James 1, 2 a little bit later. Be doers of the word and not just hearers, um, deceiving yourselves. Um, so uh, maybe to, to prime the pump a little bit, um, I'll ask why, why is that important for these two to go together? Why is it important to, um, to not have um, just word without deed or deed without word you can choose whichever one you want to address yeah caroline 
Okay. So, um, yeah. He, Right. Okay. All right. Okay. So, um, how come how come we don't start? Maybe I'll just start pushing that a little bit now, jumping off with it. Um, how come we don't provide jobs for people other than? Oh, yeah. So we provide a job for the pastors, right? But other than that, us needy souls. Um, what? How come we're not we're not out providing jobs? Because we're not employing um, large amounts of people, and we don't we don't do that. Yeah, the church, the church, the church, the church. Yeah. Um, why don't we have a, a soup kitchen? Why don't we run a a school? Um, you can ask all these questions on the, on the one hand. Why don't we, why don't we, um, you know, provide provide jobs? You know, other than we have a limited amount of resources, if that's not the only, we could pull together money invested in that. Why don't we do that? On the other hand, um, why don't we just preach and teach? Why are there these mercy components? Why do we have an impact week? Why do we have a mercy fund? Why do we have mercy in in small groups? Um, I guess I'm trying to um, I'm trying to to bring out that it isn't just that we have both of these things; we have them both together. That it isn't just two singular pieces um, that we're called to, but but we're called to. Uh, to those as a combination. And if that is abstract, uh, let me work through some of this, and hopefully it starts to get, get clearer. Um, if we just addressed spiritual needs without acknowledging physical needs, we'll realize that um, in the end, we aren't really addressing spiritual needs. Um, physical needs can lead to spiritual needs. Um, obviously, um, we are whole people, not just uh, embodied spirits. Um, we're not just... Um, what matters in your life isn't just how your mind processes Christianity, right? Um, and oftentimes, it's your physical situation that is what is tempting you to sin. Now, that could be because of a lack of, of resources, or it could be a firm, an abundance of resources. Um, it could be your connection with something else that's that's causing you to sin. So there's addressing physical needs. I want to move beyond charity and to say that actually part of the church is thinking holistically about people, is being engaged in the whole person and not just in the life of the mind. So physical needs should not be limited to material um, poverty or physical disability. Um, when we address whole needs of people, um, we're not just thinking about um, uh, the material poorest of the poor or even the physical most needy in worldly terms. If that was the case, 
our mercy projects, we would evaluate and say, okay, well, uh, look, you're, you've got a pretty big bank account. I'm not going to help you with this project. Or you're making a pretty good income. I'm, you, know, you, don't need, you don't really have a need. Um, or to think that that physical need is actually the, the biggest need for somebody who is poor. If you're out of a job, maybe that's not your biggest need right now. So um, understanding poverty is a deeper question than just evaluating things on worldly terms. There can be a poverty of spiritual intimacy, denying God's existence and authority. Um, this can come in forms of materialism or strict idolatry. Poverty of being. Either we're thinking too highly of ourselves, we're thinking too lowly of ourselves, thinking that we're God or, or being wrapped up in despair and low self-esteem. Could have a poverty of community, being self-centered, uh, exploiting, abu- abusing others, or codependent in our relationship with others. Um, a poverty of stewardship, a loss of sense of purpose in one hand. Um, we don't know what to do with the resources God's given us. Laziness, workaholics, materialism, they all are grounded in, in the curse. And so what I'm getting at here is that here are material issues, things that are relevant to the body, things that are relevant to the material, and yet there's spiritual needs in them. It's trying to redefine um, needs so that we understand as we engage people in ministry, as the church, we're engaging the whole person. Um, any, any questions on that? I, mean, I hope that's, that's apparent, but um, I want to make sure that that's clear from just saying we're going to do, do both, but do them in separate ways. We tracking? All right. So the second piece, physical needs without acknowledging spiritual needs, is only palliative. We can treat symptoms. We can treat things that, that tempt you or produce in these and exacerbate spiritual uh, deficits, spiritual needs, um, but not really get to the core, not get to the heart issue. Providing relief from suffering is a good, um, and sometimes it's even a good end. I mean, honestly, uh, thank you for being involved in medicine. And for those who, who do care for relief of physical pain, that's a good thing. Um, and though it doesn't get to the heart issue, it's still a noble calling to have. But there's still an issue of the heart that no matter how healthy you can be and how much um, you think the problems in your life are a result of, of things that are material and physical, there is a deeper spiritual decay in that. Um, so it's, it's being able to say, yes, um, we need to get to the core of this. The gospel is the greatest need because sin is the greatest problem. And so we are called as a church to think about both of these, to think about the whole person. Um, let's, let's look at scripture in this. Let's look at this uh, from the compassion of Jesus. Can somebody read Mark 2, 1 through 12? I don't think there are any difficult names in this guy, so...
scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins of God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and All right. So Jesus does this a mir- this miracle, this amazing miracle, even you know, sort of starting off his his uh, ministry very early in the Gospel of Mark. Um, what is he teaching us about the relationship between healing and forgiveness of sins? By but even how what and remember from our um, Bible interpretation class, we we care. Um, mostly about what Mark is trying to teach us about this. What is Mark and how he communicates this story teaching us? In, 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 um, what's, the, what's the point of this in relationship between healing and forgiveness of sins? What, so so <laughs> the guy brings, they bring, they bring this paralytic guy, right? What's Jesus' response? Your sins are forgiven, right? And, and they're all standing there. Uh, no, you kind of misunderstand Jesus. I'm not really looking for that. The guy is paralyzed. He's paralyzed. Don't you get the point? This is his real need. What's Jesus' response? Yeah. Yeah, that, that is all, I think, really uh, helpful in drawing those connections. But immediately when he says your sins are forgiven, the guy doesn't get up. It's not like that solved the issue um, for him. Um, but he is saying that fundamentally this guy has a need. He, he's bringing a need spiritually. Yeah, go ahead. Comprehensive nature of his ministry, 
teaching, preaching, and healing. Yeah. They were all together perfectly in the outworking of the gospel of the life of Christ. Yeah. So, like you said, just pronouncing the forgiveness of sins wasn't sufficient to call someone to arrest them all. But you had you had to have the, the teaching, the preaching of the kingdom, and then you had to have the healing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't even want to say that it was incomplete, because why does Jesus heal the guy? I think Jesus is ready to move on here. He's not saying, oh, you know what? I solved the spiritual issue. Let me now get to your material issue, because you're only half saved. He could have left it go. Because, uh, sorry to break it to you if you don't know the end of the story. We don't know it here, but I can pretty gar- much guarantee the guy died. Now, might have been... 50 years after this event, but the guy died, right? I mean, his, the physical needs only lasted so long. Um, but his point here is saying, um, this is the ultimate need, and this is the call. Um, he, he gives the healing, he provides the miracle to justify who he is um, to them. The question, which is, which is harder to do? What's the answer to that? Which, which is harder, to forgive it depends on your perspective, right? If you think he's a charlatan, then the easiest thing to do is just forgive sins. And then it backs it up, right, with, with this healing. But if you actually believe what he's saying, then you know that that's the, the, more, that's the deeper, that's the harder thing. Um, so he does this, um, this healing to show that ultimately our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. It's a stress on that. He heals other times because he has compassion, but it's always a sign to point to the deeper spiritual need. Um, he doesn't detach. Uh, sometimes he will just give forgiveness of sins without healing, um, but he never gives the healing without some explanation or some words to attach to the greater need of it. Um, so there are times in which crowds come to him and it will say he healed some of them. But it never has the implication that he preached only some of them the forgiveness of sins. You know, there was only, it was never like, okay, you guys are, are, you know, this is only for certain specific types of people. What I'm getting at here is for Jesus, if you take in his ministry, yes, he has compassion on people, but ultimately it's the forgiveness of sins that is key. And yet recognizes that um, in a human level, if he doesn't have compassion, um, you know, they, well, I don't want to get into the, the condition of that, but he does have compassion on people. He does look at the crowds and say, this isn't right. There needs to be healing. So, um, yeah. I'm just thinking, um, sin causes separation from God and it causes right. So no, we can we can we can come into a um, a really difficult one to one correlation there. It's not that your particular sins will bring um, direct a, a direct cause into why you have suffering. Which ones? Yeah, which ones? Yeah. So I think it goes a little bit to the point of people were looking for a causal. Is he blind because he did something or is he blind because the sense of the cause passed on 
Yep. Yeah. So, so ult. Yeah. I mean, at the core, you're correct um, in that sin has caused all disease, all decay. Um, so when Jesus wants to show what redemption is like graphically, healing is the perfect way to show it. Um, and ultimately, the hope that we have is not just um, escape from the body and escape from disease, but resurrection. Um, fullness, um, but th- it's very clear that that um, that it's his compassion that 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 says, "Okay, look, I'm gonna, I'm ultimately getting to the core of this, but you all are suffering and you need relief." So, so Jesus sort of lays that out initially as here's someone who sees his ultimate call is a redemptive call. Our ultimate call in the church is a redemptive call, but it doesn't ignore um, the physical aspects of it. When we move into um, the church, uh, we start seeing this um, caring for each other's needs playing out among the, the early church and the foundation. Um, somebody read the Acts 2 passage. Right, this, is, this is meant to give us a glimpse at the foundation of the church. Um, you can see elements of what other places in Scripture um, Christ commands the church to be. And, and you see the breaking of bread, you see prayers, you see um, teaching um, of the word. But you also see a community getting together and sharing goods. Right? You also see them living this out where they're meeting each other's needs. This becomes a central um, theme in, in how the early church was talked about. It's the one-anothering passages that begin from a very early time. Um, and you, you, see, um, you see this then continued in chapter 4. I can read this in, in verse 34. It's actually a much longer section. I'll just summarize in verse 32 in chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of, these, any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. So you have a repetition there, the church sharing, um, sharing each other's needs. Um, this gets picked up in the next section in chapter 5, just really the next, the next verse here. And a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep, ba- keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard 
of these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. And then his wife comes in, lies again, and she um, falls the same as, as her husband. Um, is this penalty too severe, right? How, how many have read this and thought, whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty extreme. That's pretty extreme. Like, um, I'm not sure I want to be a part of this community that, uh, that if I make a little mistake like that, I could be wind up dead. And, um, what, what is this indicating about, um, their sin? I mean, one, right. It's trying to stress a seriousness. I think, I think if we had said that they committed murder and, uh, they came in and the, the apostles discovered it, we would be, okay, yeah, it's, it's good that God zapped them down. If we said that they um, did some sexual assault or, or did some huge um, crime that, that was just, just heinous, we're like, yes, God zapped them down. Oftentimes, our problem with God is that he's too slow to act. We, we, want, we say, well, how could God let this happen? Um, but... When he does come and exact, it should start drawing us uh, aware of saying, oh, this is pretty serious to God. What is it? What's he concerned about here? And so there's the lying, right? That's one. Lying to, lying to God. But in relation to everything, and again, this comes right on the heels of, of Acts 4 and, and the sharing goods with each other being this repetitious theme. What's he doing? What, what's God emphasizing here? It's got to come from the heart. Their, their heart didn't really want to give everything they had. And yet they were sort of displaying as if they were. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, they wanted all the signs. They wanted everybody to look at them and said, oh, wow, look how much you gave and you participated in meeting the needs of others. Were they meeting needs of others in doing this? Actually, they were using it to serve their own needs. They were trying to puff themselves up. Um, they cared, you know, from, from the motives point of view, from what we can tell from this passage, they care much less about how this played to others. Um, up until this point, Acts keeps stressing that um, this is one body, and part of how that is expressed is that um, nobody has too much and nobody has too little. There's a sharing of resources. What they do um, in those other vignettes of uh, what a church looks like is all this coming together and, and strengthening the community. What Ananias and Sapphira do and that is supportive of the gospel. It's, it's the gospel, we're gospel to each other. We're Christ to each other. What Ananias and Sapphira do is um, they try to get all the, the blessings of that, but it's destructive to the community. Um, they, this, this isn't communism where they needed to have their property uh, taken from them and managed by some other group. This is supposed to be from their own heart loving each other out of our abundance just as Christ loved us out of our abundance. And God says that act of, of using that for yourself is destructive of community, and it goes against what the gospel is saying. That's the severity of it. 
And to continue that theme of this is essential for the church and this is essential for um, Christian community, essential for understanding the gospel, Acts 6, anybody know what Acts 6 talks about? It's the formation of the seven who take care of the needs. Why? Because some people are being uh, overlooked. Some widows are being overlooked. And so seven with Stephen, as some say that's diaconate, some say that's sort of a deacon elder role, um, seven are appointed to then take care of these needs, waiting on tables, as it were, so that the word of God can be preached. So just trying to stress how from the very beginning the one anothering, the sharing of needs is essential to the community. It wasn't an add-on. It wasn't some small little uh, nice if you can get it. It, is, it, was, it was vital um, to what it meant. Uh, it was vital in what it meant to be the community of God. Um, any questions about that? I mean, I think I'm trying to stress how Acts like underscores this in extreme ways. All right. Um, so why do good as the church? Um, why not? Um, where, where does this where does this encourage us to care for each other's needs, and in what role do we care about the needs of outsiders? I think this is probably the the, the biggest sticking point when we think about mercy in the church. Um, what responsibility do we have towards each other, and what about to the city that we're in, to outsiders? Um, I can't think of um, a, another, another topic in this. I, I think everything I said so far, everybody would be like, yes, it's important. Care for spiritual needs, care for material needs. I think this is the point where most of us run into to issues. Um, and I think the hardest part is to make that differentiation between doing things as a church and doing things as individual Christians. Um, what are we called to do as a church, as something corporate, and what is part of what we will do as, um, as just our, our call to be Christians? Um, should we just do it as a church? Um, there are a couple of reasons why um, doing good as a church, if, we, if that's all we did, um, is actually really important and vital. And one is that we meet the needs as an alternate uh, of each other as an alternate society. Um, there is something really profound that says we actually prioritize each other. Um, now think about that. We're in a city that has a lot of really obvious needs. I mean, you perhaps walked to church this morning and passed people who were homeless, right? Uh, and it seems cruel, especially um, when there is wealth among us, to say, actually, I'm going to prioritize somebody else in this community. Does that ever present a problem for y'all? Is that a sticky point at times? Um, if we think about our life as individual Christians, it will be very difficult to reconcile that. 
Why would I give to somebody that I know at church and not give to this person who clearly has more need? Um, Well, Scripture, I think, commands us from what we've seen so far in Acts um, that we need to put the community first because we are a family and we're called to a responsibility with each other, far deeper than we're called to responsibility towards others. Um, John Howard Yoder writes, the church must be a sample of the kind of humanity which, for example, economic and racial differences are surmounted. Only then will it have anything to say to the society that surrounds it uh, about those differences that must be dealt with. And Galatians, um, which we heard last week, so then, uh, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. Now, Yoder's point in that is that if we say we're going to be about the church, but um, make the church's role to deal with racial reconciliation in the world, or say we're going to be the church, but we're going to make the church's goal deal with poverty in the city, or deal with um, problems of education, or deal with disparity, economic disparity. Yoder's going to say, what we've done in this sort of naive, um, and, you know, it, there's, there's a, a virtue in it, but it's naive, is actually we've, we've ignored the call to be this community, this family. Um, we've stressed those things, but what we found, what we often find in that is that the community itself has not had racial reconciliation. The community itself has not addressed its need of poverty and of weakness. Um, We've ignored the responsibility we have for each other to create an alternate society. Yoder's saying if we can pull that off to where this is the place, this is the place where things are different. This is the place where we can see the impact on the cross then that glorifies God to say, oh, there's a reason that unites them. More than, it's not a social experiment like some, you know, eco-dome that we've gotten put into and we're all going to now practice this out. It's all people that unite us on the one thing, the cross. And if the cross actually did that, started changing us now to where we share possessions, help each other's needs, love each other, care for our needs, then that actually speaks to the world in a very powerful evangelistic way. Um, so, needs as an alternate society. Questions to that? I'm laying out things that I, I mean, I'm hoping that it's not maybe the first time you've heard it, but but can be pretty um, controversial. I'm trying to. Yeah, I mean, a lot of stuff out of what's called post-liberal theology gets to this. Yoder is maybe the classic. Um, he will say that the church needs to be the church. Um, what happens when we say our mission and our purpose is now going to be um, for those social needs, um, even with the gospel, but, but to society, that we're going to be a church about justice. We're going to be a church about rec- rec- racial reconciliation. We're going to be a church about poverty. Um, very soon, um, that begins to prioritize what the church's identity is, and a drift from the gospel is out. 
you know, William Willimon, Stanley, Stanley Hauerwas, Yoder, the, those, those people will all say um, they, they're called post-liberal for a reason because they said that was what the liberal church did and we've learned from it. Now, they're not quite evangelicals, but at least they're saying a lot of those things. Uh, William Willimon has this great article that says, been there, done that. And he begins by saying, I'm a mainline liberal Methodist who left the gospel years ago. And, and he's like, and now I'm watching these evangelicals do the same thing. Because as they jump in for these causes of justice and mercy and all those things, what they are doing is, um, in, a, in a sense, saying, you know what, the gospel we like, but it's not what people really need. Um, and in fact, it's not going to be the thing that changes society. It's all this action that we do. And what it had did, what it did to the liberal church, um, I mean, look, I, uh, I see this in the church I grew up in. I didn't go to that church um, faithfully, but my parents go to this. It's empty now. All they've got keeping it going right now is a soup kitchen. And I remember talking to my mom. I said, don't you want more out of church? That, that's a charity. I mean, you, you're just doing a charity. You could do that. And maybe it's good that you do that, but why are you doing it as a church? Um, the, the, uh, the church that prioritizes that or keeps that as the core of their identity has, has just happened through time. It's shown that that's the church that loses the gospel, that it, that it begins to disappear. It's not to say that these material needs aren't important. It's just as they become the definition of the church and what you're about, you will lose your identity as the church. Yoder will say the church needs to be the church. And that means we need to be about um, salvation, the gospel of redemption. Um, Galatians emphasizes that. But he also has that, that, you know, there's a caveat in that. Do good to all. Yes, he says especially to the household of faith, but do good to all. Um, there is a sense in which the church can love and care for uh, the needs of others. Think of First Peter 2. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And there's a sense in that that they're receiving some good from the church. If you look at Acts and what they're doing, um, they're sharing each other's needs, and, and Luke tells us that uh, people are added to their number. Well, and part of that could be that unbelievers were um, among, in their midst and, and seeing this and maybe even partake, uh, partaking in some of it so that they are experiencing the love of Christ, the body of Christ, but seeing that in a very different way. Um, so part of it is um, evangelistic. Um, it, it is a way that points to the gospel. That's the center of it. Um, all right. So that's, that is the image that the, the, um, that the New Testament lays out for the church, a community that is in the midst of these cities, oftentimes, cities with great need, and this community that begins to meet its own needs, but all on the foundation of the gospel. Um, and that begins to sort of spill out to those around them. Um, I want to think about this in the context of, um, well, and sorry, just to, just to support that, you see in passages, I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul will say to the, to the church that um, 
you know, he gives as a reflection of his providence in this community. So those who have don't have too much and those who uh, don't have don't have too little. Um, so that if we were to think about that in terms of the, all the community around us, it would be overwhelming. Where do we even begin with our need? But of course, he's speaking this corporately. He's speaking about this in the church, so that this becomes the place where um, uh, not all, it doesn't level everybody out, but it says that we care for each other, we have a responsibility for each other, and we bind ourselves um, to loving and serving those needs. That's the, that's the ideal, this community that, that exists solely founded on the gospel. Um, this starts to be seen in Acts, um, but it gets lived out here now. And I want to just use Mercy Week, or Impact Week, I should say, as a way of striving to live out that community. Do we live that out now, um, 365 days? Well, we try to. In fact, there's a lot, lots of ways we do live this out. Um, we, we live this out in community groups where we share needs. We live this out with the Mercy Fund. A lot of times, though, um, you, you, don't, you don't hear about that. I mean, how many people have heard about multiple um, – that aren't on the Mercy Fund team, have heard about multiple Mercy needs being met this year. Yeah, so nobody here, right? I mean, hopefully hopefully um, some of you have heard that uh, on occasion. But there have been multiple Mercy needs met here. When do, how do we feel that? How do we see that? that that's going on. You don't, you don't get to perceive a congregation that really is living this out that's having late night phone calls with each other, that's invested in each other's life, that actually cares about what's going on at your work. That's happening in this community. And if you're not experiencing it, um, keep digging in and participate in your community group, build in relationships um, because that, that's going on. Impact Week gets to concentrate that, <laughs> gets to concentrate what we've been doing. I mean, some will say, well, can't we do this all year round? We are doing this all year round. But this concentrates it, and it also spills out into um, the rest of the city and the rest of our congregations. Um, so it's an all, we, it starts out even, well, to be honest, it starts out the Thursday before um, with the session getting together and beginning uh, our planning, um, our church gathering together to consider the word and deed, or the, the, the word and sacrament ministry of our church throughout the, the rest of the year. And then... On Saturday, um, we have June 25th, an all-day retreat, beginning with cross-cultural training in the morning, and then we go to Chatfield Hollow, and we spend the day with each other, loving each other. Um, you get to interact with my kids. I get to interact with your kids. We get to, um, to share life and fun with each other. Then we have the Ascension Service with all the congregations meeting together, worshiping in one place. And then we have both a week of mercy and of mission. We have camps and we have um, mercy projects. Putting those all together, um, we have not just projects from random, but projects from the Christian church. We have um, projects from the Hill, we have projects from our congregation, and we have projects from Bridges of Hope, sharing this idea that we have a, a binding together from Christ that is the foundation um, of, of having this. But we also do that in the context of the city of New Haven. So who's going to be at those camps? It's not just random kids in the hill. They're kids that have some connection with the hill church or 
about to have some connection with the Hill Church. We're connecting them to the church. We're not just running a camp out in the hill for its own sake. We're doing it to connect to the church that's there and for a blessing for our own kids. That's where our kids um, are getting ministered to and their friends who they might invite to it. Um, Mercy projects. These aren't just random any mercy projects. We're not going to walk down the street in New Haven and say, oh, let's do mercy to this place. These are people who have connections to our church in one way or another. They are members or they have a connection. It is showing that um, that the gospel is, this, is the heart of it. It's the center of, of everything we do. Um, and yes, it is a week, and it may just be a start, but it does open doors. I mean, this is where a church gets founded. This is where the Hill Church gets founded. Who knows where this might um, produce miracles in other people's lives. Um, all right, I realize we're running out of time, but um, I want to close with this idea of corporate versus uh, individual. As an individual Christian, sometimes you can hear what our church says about mercy and how it should be for the congregation, and it can be an affront. It can be a very difficult message to hear because you're not also hearing us say what you should be doing as a Christian, as an individual. Yes, hear me now. You should be compassionate. You should be compassionate. You should love other people. You should be generous. But just know you don't have the same responsibility to others as you do with the people here because of our family connection. Um, what is our responsibility as a church? Uh, I put in the, po- the policy here, the CPC policy, on it just in case um, we ever have questions about this. What, what is we have, um, we have responsibility not simply to the city around us, but to those who've bound themselves. And then it goes, it goes through um, what qualifies somebody for the Mercy Fund, what qualifies somebody for Mercy. Um, and it um, doesn't go much into empowerment and enablement. That's stuff you can find on our website. But um, that's the big picture of it. It starts with the fact that we're united through the gospel. So, all right. Questions? Impact Week begins the 25th with us sharing. Yes, yes, question. Yes, go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think we ever reach the point where our needs are met because we have a different view of need. It, it just as we started by saying needs run in a multiplicity of ways. Um, yeah, the Lord can bless us with excess at at times, and we feel like we can handle other things. Um, but we need to be wise about not leaving our mission. Um, why aren't we an institution? Um, trying to do what, you know, so we, we are thinking about this subsidiary um, ministry um, that, that Jeff is, is here helping us to, to start up, and that ministry is important. We think that is needed for our city, but once that becomes a ministry that the elders oversee, once that becomes something that we are equating with um, our mission as a church, we start to get very confused as to what we're about, and I think we start to devalue the gospel.
Um, so I think we're starting to, to get to that point where we are putting more formal, we're supporting a ministry that puts more formal um, legs and, and hands to this. Um, but we're never going to be a, a place where the, meet, the, the needs are completely met. All right. Uh, food's here. Let's um, let's close. What's that? Food is not here. Oh, okay. I thought I actually saw that covered. It is not. Um, all right. I'm going to close this in prayer um, and then just uh, enjoy each other's company until the food arrives, which is on its way. Father, we do thank you um, that you showed mercy to us. Thank you that um, this truth has now... Um, left us not as individuals who receive mercy, but a community that continues to receive the love of Christ together. Um, bless us as we um, now seek to love um, uh, the Hill Church and the other churches in our city and um, how that overflows to a real tangible way that we love our city. Um, bless our relationships um, with those who are um, going to be involved in this week, and I pray that um, that won't just be this one blip, but it will be a, a reminder of the constant pulse that happens um, throughout the year. May you be glorified and through it all, and, and bless our food now. In Jesus' name, amen.